0: I'm Safiya Mini. Welcome to the Ethical Agenda podcast. Welcome to the Ethical podcast. Delighted to have Sarah Corbett, the founder of Craftivist Collective, on the podcast today. I'm particularly excited with this the shared history that we both have of, of activism and craft. And it's so interesting reading your book just to, to see the parallel. My grandmother was uh, uh, an embroidery designer but, but couldn't, couldn't make uh, a livelihood uh, on, with embroidery but then became a social entrepreneur uh, and then later on a, um, a publisher and, and bookseller. It's very, very interesting to see, you know, you're, you also come from a religious family yeah. originally. Um, my great-grandfather was a minister mine too (laughs) (laughs) so 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 very very interesting there are these um similarities even though we are a generation apart tell me a little bit about your background if you would um and then how you came into craft uh as as a tool uh of, of activism
1: Yeah, so I I grew up in a very low income area in the UK, which is sadly still the fourth most deprived ward in the UK, which is in West Everton, in Liverpool. Um, So seeing inequality, you know, firsthand of people not getting jobs with the postcode that we lived in for you know really giant, moldy housing so people getting very ill um malnutrition which people often don't think happens in the UK but it does um so seeing it firsthand my dad's a local minister still there which is quite unusual they normally move around my mum was a nurse and then a full-time mum and then now she's a politician a local politician so I, we always grew up around the kitchen table talking about social change what we could change. Locally, So, you know, squatting in social housing age three to save them from demolition, which we won at school. I became head girl because my peers voted me in because I was quite a strange girl because I was always part of local campaign and global campaign action. So I'd write minutes in meetings and I knew how all of that worked. So I campaigned in school to change some policies, which I won, others which I lost and then went to university and I studied religions and theology because 9-11 had happened while I was studying my GCSEs and I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life but I thought I actually don't know a lot about other religions and Islam in particular Um, and I went to Manchester University because it was the most radical course and a lot of it was about how religion fitted in with society so I learned about Islam, Buddhism but I also learned about what's sacred space now and Holocaust theology and liberation theology and really wanted to see how social change happened within religious groups but also outside Um, and then I ended up working as a campaigner for different NGOs like Oxfam as well as Difford, because really all I've ever been doing is activism and I'm passionate about How can activism be done effectively and strategically? And Martin Luther King Jr. is my absolute hero, so I still regularly read his speeches to help me with my work. It's a bit of a strange background where, you know, having the the vicar and the politician, all we ever did was talk about religion and politics, which is quite unusual for an English household but definitely helped form what I do and see that activism works and even when I was eight we went to South Africa for my dad's sabbatical um, and Mandela had just got out and we were there and he was there to see what parallel poverty was there and what local campaign and church groups were doing on social change and as an eight-year-old you know i Learned a huge amount in those few what months. was an incredible opportunity. It was amazing and definitely, again, shaped me of seeing where yes. Mandela and Desmond Tutu did lots of peace and reconciliation. And actually how they worked with people who directly oppressed them, knowing that they had to work with them so there wasn't a civil war and so the real long term change could happen. That, for me, still is incredibly sobering and makes me not default to screaming and demonizing people but see trying to empathize with where their pain's coming from where can we all be part of the solution and knowing Mm. that things can take decades and longer but also Mm. how change can happen in people quite quickly as well so I'm very much shaped by my background (laughs) In, in your own words there's just there's so
0: much new in your approach
1: yeah People often say it's new. I mean, I've been doing it 10 years, but I think it still feels new to a lot of people, definitely. I mean, I'm a big fan of yours. I've been following you for over 10 years and seeing you as a real role model of, and what people are doing in different parts of the fashion sector as campaigners on the inside and the outside. So this is a joy to be sitting on a couch with you. So thanks for having me. It's um, My journey into craftivism, so craftivism was a word coined in 2003 by an American called Betsy Greer, where it basically is craft plus activism equals craftivism. And she's a knitter. So she saw that lots of knitting groups, mostly of women, were having a chat while they knit. And often they would make do an amending, which is a political, uh, you know, form in itself. And then talking about, personal issues and political issues so she saw this as a form of activism. My background's in campaigning so I grew up in West Everton in Liverpool in the 80s my dad is still the local vicar there my mum is now a politician so all and I was squatting to save social housing from the age of three which we've won and campaigning in school on local and global issues so my background's activism not craft. I didn't go to art school, so I'm jealous of people that work in the creative sectors and did that. Um, But my passion is activism and knowing that activism can work if it's done strategically. But 10 years ago, I picked up a cross-stitch kit on a train to Glasgow for work. And I was a complete burnt-out activist in my job when I was working for Difford training people up as activists but also in my personal life joining lots of activist groups as an introvert and someone who is quite highly sensitive which is a a blessing and a curse for a lot of people. I noticed with this cross-stitch kit that it immediately slowed me down, it calmed me down, it made me mindful of how exhausted I was, how, how shaky my hands were, how shallow my breath was and used it to sort of do this repetitive action which is very calming but it helped me think more critically about what I was doing as an activist and as a in my job in campaigns and people on the train were asking me what I was doing which I immediately thought how fascinating we don't often talk to each other in the UK but I'm doing something small that's handmade so it felt like a safe space for people to have a conversation. So I immediately didn't know the word crafterism existed, but thought, one, this is helping me think more critically and strategically and calmly and not just react out of anger or despair at injustice. But also, I was having conversations with people and I thought, if only I was stitching, you know, a quote from Gandhi or something, I could have a thoughtful conversation about that. So I sort of started again 10 years ago of honing this craft of where I could. The process of handicraft help with thinking with conversations what would you do with the product because we both know and we both believe to not create anything in the world that goes to landfill or is of waste so how can I use these small pieces of handicraft as gifts for power holders whether it's board members or politicians or street art and so it came out of me being a passionate activist wanting to be you know, kind but effective, but not wanting to scream and shout at people because I don't think that's always effective.
0: I remember reading that really interesting book, was it Quiet? Yeah, um, by which,
1: Susan Cain. Oh, cause it's absolutely amazing fantastic, yeah. isn't it?
0: And yeah. I think, you know, what's interesting is that even though we care so much, you know, I wouldn't describe myself as a, an extrovert. I public speak because I feel yeah. like I, I, I need to, that, that it's helpful to, to give a voice and yeah. to use a platform. You know, being at down in Parliament Square yeah. um, with my XR affinity group in April, you know, some of some of that was actually quite difficult. And I yeah. and I think what what's interesting is really kind of opening up the space of activism so that there are different ways to contribute, different Absolutely. ways to engage. And some people, so probably would say, well, you know, um, ten years ago you were probably one of the beginnings of mm-hmm. you know young people taking up craft again, yeah. stitching, um, you know, you'd go onto the train and you'd see people with with knitting needles. And and there was a real joy in that. And I, I thought maybe that was part of something that was about sustainable fashion really re-engaging yeah. with, you know, texture and technique and the making. But it's interesting for me to really learn about that as activism, I yeah. guess. Can you explain how can that and making a statement to a politician How can it be effective?
1: Yeah, I mean, the first thing for me is I see craftivism as a tool in the activism toolkit. So often people talk about the craftivism movement, which concerns me because we don't have a march movement or a petition movement. I think craft is a really useful tool in the activism toolkit, not to replace other forms of activism. I still go on some marches where they have a very clear goal and demand um, and have got accountability. Some marches are more vague or might be quite demonising, which I won't go on. So I still go on some things. I still sign petitions. I still have very boring meetings with politicians and and you know power holders where there's no craft involved because they're still important but I think with craftivism for me the activism always comes first and the craft is the tool not the taskmaster so you know craftivism is a bit like the word punk you've got all these different bit like you know punk music you've got all these different bands that sound very different craftivism is the same if you google it you'll find lots of different things what i focus on is where can it be of most use so you could make a giant handmade banner and take on a march and that's craftivism but where i think it could be more powerful is if you make a small bespoke humble gift for a power holder as a a tool to create dialogue and conversation and be that critical friend rather than aggressive enemy. So we'll do, you know, handkerchiefs to board members saying, don't blow it, use your power for good. We know you've got a difficult job, but we want to really encourage you to use it in the best way you can. You give it as a gift And we don't then keep giving them handmade gifts because that makes it look like we care more about the craft than serve the cause. But that handmade gift that's to them in lowercase, no capital letters, no exclamation marks, with a bit of a pun of don't blow it, but very gentle, means that they're much more likely to say, oh, wow, you spent hours on this. You must care about it. It was just humour. It would Mm. be transactional. But because Mm. it's very humble and saying, you've got power that we want to encourage you to use well rather than take your power away. And it creates these conversations and long-lasting relationships where people have made them for their senators, their MPs, local business leaders to build a relationship with to then say, what are you doing on climate crisis? What are you doing on, you know, workers' rights? How can I encourage you in your position of power not to blow it, but be the best person you can in that role just by this one handmade item as a catalyst for those connections and conversations, but not as a, you know, for me, it's the process and the product that are really powerful for long-lasting change rather than just for quick transactional um actions and how many i mean
0: it's, it's obviously it's difficult because there are many factors that are involved in any any power holder as you as you yeah. described them but if you could give me a, um some examples of where you know you can be really quite sure that 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 did tip
1: yeah i mean it is hard to be sure about anything and often you're told that you haven't had an impact if you have or vice versa but there's a few over the years that we can say for definite and being told it's had impact. So WWF, not the wrestling, used our 10-point Craftivist Collective Manifesto to create a campaign in Spain that was about changing the law to protect migrating birds and the head of campaigns emailed me saying don't know if you realize but we we used your manifesto and it worked we changed the law which is incredible Um, and it's all about gentle protest which is not about being passive or weak but doing stuff carefully and compassionately um, and not Big and loud, but often quite quiet. Can you or give intimate. me another one? Yeah, and then another one is um, probably our most famous. Was we um, encouraged Marks and Spencers, one of the biggest brands in the UK and and the world now, to pay the living wage and which they hadn't previously so we gave them bespoke gifts at as shareholders i got um just 14 people to give one gift each to the 14 board members to ask them for a meeting to discuss the living wage which for three years campaigners had tried all traditional campaigning and got not got anywhere and we had five week brief of the agms coming up um, from the Live and Wage Foundation and Share Action to say, you've got five weeks, can you do something? Because all of our traditional campaigning isn't working. We keep asking for one meeting with the CEO and we're getting nowhere. So I had five weeks and I thought, well, Who's above the CEO? The board members. The CEO at the time was a man and he was a board member. So I thought if they're not engaging with other forms of activism that were more loud and lots of people, we'll just have 14 craftivists that are core you know, customers of theirs doing a very small action to engage them more deeply than widely. And we got our meeting after giving them these gifts at the AGM. And for 10 months, we had very... Um, long meetings with them about them saying we can't pay the living wage and we'd say okay well what are the barriers and can we come back with possible solutions So we very quiet very um, careful to show them that we weren't trying to be demanding but we've being helpful and after 10 months they announced they were paying the living wage to 50,000 staff. So we went back to the AGM and the chair of the board actually took me aside, um, which he didn't have to, and quietly said it was the most powerful campaign they'd experienced wow. and they wouldn't have paid the living wage without the way that we'd engage them. That's incredible. Which you don't normally get told that. Um, so and that's
0: the 50,000 staff in the UK.
1: Yeah, yeah. In the in the book where people were on the minimum wage and they increased the wage. And, you know, our goal was that they'd be accredited living wage employers, which they're not, but that's still Part of the campaign. But I think if we hadn't made them these bespoke gifts that We wrote handwritten letters to go alongside them saying, as customers of yours, we love your company. We've always loved your company. We're loyal customers. We love your staff. So we're shocked that they're not paying the living wage because not only does it make sense in terms of dignity and respect for your colleagues, but also it makes business sense. So we handwrote these letters to go alongside the gift to say, can we have a conversation? So very different to what you expect activism to be quick, loud, aggressive, visual it was very a lot of it was secret we didn't share on social media to build a relationship with them and then also I get so many amazing emails from people and letters saying how by taking part in one of our workshops or events or by using our kits that they might have been given as a gift or they've bought from the website of how it's it really has changed their mind or it's changed their habits or it's helped them engage in activism where they didn't think they could whether they're highly sensitive people or introverts or burnt out or on their own and have anxiety you know for me if if we weren't helping to change laws and policies and hearts and minds I wouldn't be doing this I don't do it because I love craft I do it because it genuinely adds to the activism toolkit alongside the other forms that we still need that both of us still take part in and you've been an
0: activist since the age of three I think you described yeah, my, in your book yeah, yeah so my you, mum says I was an activist <laughs> in the
1: womb because we were always wo- yes. always in community meetings and <laughs> always yeah involved in in campaigns
0: I'm going to very quickly um Tell the podcast listeners your manifesto, uh the craftivist manifesto, um one to, to be a tortoise, yeah. um to really slow down, um being mindful in your activism. Uh two, to use craft as your tool, three solidarity, not sympathy, and I'd love to come and t- talk a little yeah. bit more about that. Four, find comfort in contemplation. Five, um, empathy never points fingers. No blaming, no blaming and shaming. No. No, six small and beautiful, seven humility holds the key, eight provoke, don't preach, nine embrace positivity, and ten make the change you wish to see. That's a really lovely, um, I think a lovely synopsis, and so much. That's um, you know very much covered in in the how to and the activism and the support that um, that's come behind behind what you do is 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 so clear um, in, in really showing these are actually highly desirable approaches to the kinds of problems that we have
1: today. But for me, it's all all of my stuffs rooted in neuroscience and psychology and how we use the senses so it's not like oh it would be nice to be positive it's actually well if we want to engage people deeply and help them change themselves and help us change these systems and structures that you know activism is about changing system structures cultures and behaviors it's not about putting a plaster on a wound of emergency relief so we don't do donation we don't do fundraising or just awareness raising it's about trying to change these core problems and so much of that we need to look at how our brains work for us to see how do we change ourselves to help change systems as well so you know using your hands it calms you down and it actually helps you focus to think more critically and more strategically in a world where everything's so online and we're so distracted by our smartphones and And we can get so angry, we need to channel that anger into actual, you know, strategic action and not just react out of anger and say something we regret or do something we regret. And if we are, I mean, as humans, we go into fight, flight or freeze mode as soon as we see something we don't like. We can't physically think about solutions when we're in that mode because our brains won't let us because it's human nature to go into survival mode. So for me, the craft is incredible to help you with that strategy, to give people gifts or to do very small pieces of street art that we do helps people find it. You know, whether they're given a gift, they're more likely to engage with it than being screamed at. What kind of street arty are you referring to yeah so to? sometimes mm-hmm. we do little mini banners which are cross-stitched and you hang them off eye level somewhere relevant to oh, the I've issue i've seen those Up and down Brick yeah yeah, yeah 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 so i used to live off brick lane so um and there's a little video of that mm-hmm. so that's about helping create thought and conversation in people but they find it rather than you force it in their face so again mm-hmm. with psychology is if you feel like you've found something that's off eye level below eye level and there's text in it and once you decide to go up to it to read it you've decided that you want to read it so you've got a much more open heart and an open mind than if you're screamed at with a megaphone I do think we still need loud activism outside embassies and parliament where you do have megaphones but it's not the only way and if we want people to think for themselves in their own time, as well as try and get them to change actions quickly. We need some of these small bits of these seeds. And then we have the mini fashion statements, which are support fashion revolution, which I think you'd appreciate because we both love fashion revolution, and um, which do. are about shop dropping. So it's the opposite of shoplifting. So,
0: well, so what happens? You, you shop <laughs> drop this little, this little handwritten, yeah. carefully um, written request in your
1: favourite shop.
0: Mm. And then what happened?
1: So these so all of our projects have different objectives and different strengths and they're all about seeing where there's a gap in different campaigns and where craftivism could help um, support that campaign because there isn't one quick fix or one easy answer with with different social change issues you care about. Often we need a real mix of actions, long-term, short-term for different people. So Fashion Revolution, I love. And as soon as they set up after the disaster in Bangladesh at Rana Plaza, I loved how it was set up by two fashion designers. I love fashion and I felt very much that I wasn't really allowed to in lots of activist groups and I saw what they were doing was from fashion designers saying to people who love fashion let's be part of the solution rather than being divisive but everything at the time they were doing was online of hashtag you know who made my clothes Mm. to that brand which I still do every year but I thought oh I think craftivism could really add to their menu of options where for the people who buy in fast fashion stores um can we get them involved who might not find fashion revolution online or might not feel they can be part of it for different reasons? So I thought, how do we engage them in a non-judgmental way, not saying you need to stop buying here and only buy there, especially if you're on a low budget or you've got other barriers? So how do we engage them in a positive way, but in an intriguing way? So there's three messages in the kits and on the project on the website, and you pick the message that resonates with you the most. Can you give me example of one of those messages? Yeah so um, I worked with Futera who were a maze and sustainability communication agency to get the messaging that needed to be crafted just as much as the stitching or the ribbon um, so it's one of the messages is about there's a story behind every item of clothing and what's the story behind this one is it one of joy or is it one of pain find out more at Fashrev and it just has the at Fashrev at the bottom for you to find out ways that you can be part of the revolution So clothes make up the person. That's quite a responsibility, isn't it? If we are what we wear, then shouldn't we try to make sure that our clothes are made by garment workers who get paid well and treated well with dignity and the planet is not harmed during the making of our clothes? Question mark. At Rev. So you open the scroll, it's completely anonymous, so you find it in a pocket, you don't have to tell anyone else about it, you read it in your own time because it says open me with a smiley face, so very gentle but intriguing. And then you read it and you might reread it, you might put it in the bin and we don't know the impact of this, but you might keep it, it might hopefully make you want to find out more at Fashion Revolution. And I've had amazing emails from people saying that they've used our kits on their own or with friends, or come to one of our workshops and some of them keep that one scroll out of the ten in the bottom of their bag to remind themselves to buy more ethically that's lovely or put them in their clothes pockets of their friends or we've got little kids who put them in um, the cloak rooms with their teachers to create thought and conversation so it can go anywhere and what's great about this project is we do it as a drop-in session so it's a bit quicker than some of the others but you still you're not going to write a message you don't agree with so it sinks in a bit more and we've done it at the British Museum with people from all over the world of all ages and backgrounds and we've done it in the Barbican um did it in Stockholm Fashion Week in Sweden with people who love fashion but had never been on a protest before and this was one way to feel part of the fashion revolution and see that campaigning can be done in different ways so some of our projects are very best- spoke to you know people who receive our gifts like board members or politicians about Mm long-term engagement some are more of the shop dropping little bits and bobs the mini banners work really well to engage people online as well as offline so i try and sort of cover different bases we've got our green hearts you wear on your sleeve to say what you love in the world and how you want to protect it from the climate crisis so there's lots of different projects you can do in different ways but All of, for me, the power's in the detail. So the fact that you said, like, it looks very luxurious, that's a strategy. We don't want it to look cheap and rushed, but very much something people want to keep and feel excited Mm -hmm. that they found it. And the whole experience, all my workshops, we have lavender smell, we have instrumental music, we have grapes for people to share so it creates a safe space for contemplation and conversation and we remember things more if we engage in two or more senses Mm -hmm. so whoever finds our little fashion scrolls you have to open the ribbon you know you're touching something you're reading there if you're making one of our projects you're using your head hands and heart together so you're more likely to remember the experience than just signing the petition and then you forgot what you've signed so I do see it as a useful tool in the toolkit, but it's not going to be the fix for everything. We need to see everything holistically and strategically.
0: So, Sarah, can you tell me one of your pieces of activism that you're you're engaging as a craftivist? I mean, it could be a project that's coming up now for the latter end of two thousand nineteen.
1: So because I run the Crafters Collective is global and it all happened by accident you know I was tinkering around and friends and family were asking me what I was doing so I set up a blog and suddenly you know over the years we've got thousands of people take part around the world and a bit like you you know you do a lot of talks and I follow you on social media and you do them because there's demand for them and people find them useful so I've always got to think of where can I help the Global Craftivist Collective and be of most use even though there's still only one of me and someone who helps me one day a week. So one project that I saw was lacking in our Craftivist Collective projects but also I'm always looking at campaigns of where can our tools be useful in campaigns and I love all of the the student strike stuff happening the xr stuff happening fashion revolution and but a lot of our campaigning as activists we focus on what we don't want so it's no fracking no sweatshops we focus on that and that's important for us to know what we don't want. But if we don't know what we do want, our brains physically can't get to those solutions. And if we only focus on what we don't want, it actually creates quite chronic stress and negativity and can stop people getting involved, or they only get involved and it feels like a chore. So I've created a new project called Dream Making and you use it for whatever campaign you care about, but you use it at the beginning of your campaign to say, okay, well, what's my dream and how can I be part of making it happen? So if it's, we have lots of people working on mental health or climate change, lots of different issues. And I'll say, use this project and it's a little cloud and it's all ethically made, but I want you to stitch on it. What's the dream you have around mental health? What's the dream you have for a healthy planet? While you're stitching it, we had someone stitching, they wanted, their dream was for um, more children's laughter because they were worried about climate change, especially with, with young people. You know, they're laughing now as toddlers, her grandchildren are laughing, but she's worried about what happens in the future for them. So for her, she was stitching and you keep it at home, I dare, I dream of more children laughing. So while she was stitching it, she was thinking, how can I help create that dream? What does that dream look like? It sounds like laughter. It looks like a healthy planet. It feels like this. It smells like that. And then your brain starts thinking, how can I be part of that change as an individual, as a a group member of a campaign group or as a colleague and work and it's a physical reminder to focus on what you do want in the world rather than what you don't want which actually sustains us and you know I always talk about how Martin Luther King said he had a dream he didn't say he had a complaint and that dream You know, helped him strive to continue that when he had really hard days. But it also meant people felt they could be part of that dream, rather than um, and part of that solution, rather than you're with us or you're you're against us. So for me. I'm really excited about that about that project and it'll come out before Christmas as a nice Christmas stocking and a New Year's resolution for people to use. But I feel like a lot of activism, we our default is that survival and what we don't want and we really need to be thinking about what we do want and how we can be
0: part of that solution. That's really beautifully expressed in some of the lovely things you've, you've brought along to show me today. Um, so the beautiful bluebells and um, human being hearts that you wear this part on your, on your sleeve and so really being part of creating the society that you want to live in and in the way that um, Rob Hopkins has, has talked in a previous podcast about transition towns movement and, and, and the whole kind of regenerative culture that is just yeah. so key in keeping us sane, keeping us doing all the different types of, of activism that hopefully will deliver uh, a zero carbon society by 2025 ideally and Um, we
1: need to we need activists to, 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 to sustain each other and not burn out you know we need it so much now we are in such a state of emergency but also opportunity that if we bet you know I was a burnt out activist and and then picked up that cross stitch kit and thought oh could this help me um and I think you know we desperately need people to do activism in a sustainable way for them but in a way that's really exciting and really positive and brings everyone to be part of the solution rather than seeing it as you're with us or against us I think we you know it might sound fluffy and weak and naive but actually looking at psychology and neuroscience and and well-being if you know we desperately need to focus on what we do want and how we could be part of it rather than just scream and shout at people and we're not going to be able to bring them on the journey with us if we're demonizing them and you know I'm not a board member so it makes sense for me to encourage them to be part of the solution rather than to demonise them where they then or bully them where they might change some stuff but they they don't their heart and mind isn't in it or they then not do it and you've got someone who comes up, you know, when we topple dictators, often you get but people who aren't as who are also just as toxic or Mm -hmm. part of the problem. So we really ideally we need to bring these people who might be harming people and the planet and say how can we help you be part of this solution with us rather than sort of everyone being an enemy yes and people will be
0: truly in, engaged won't they S- more sincerely engaged than a, a kind of a passive aggressive rather yeah and it makes sense
1: it's it's common sense to ask questions and have a conversation with someone respectfully but with activism our our default is often we need to scream we need to shout we need to demand things and yes we need some of that at certain times in certain contexts but we also need the quiet conversations we also need to sit with ourselves and say am I part of the problem can I be part of the solution you know it's not easy and you can't be you know 100% ethical but we can see where we can we can be of best use in the the system change that we want your your
0: lovely book towards the end has has a section that, that uh, I thought was absolutely charming um called the the well-being clinic oh yeah <laughs> which is great so again you know really whilst being a, a craftivist at the same time tell me did you find that as people started coming joining your workshops mm. really becoming part of this community of craftivists did you find that there were a lot of people that were, were just in, you know, it, it really got got into quite a, a state. And oh, really...
1: absolutely. Mm. I mean, I set up the well-making clinic as a physical thing where, the room looks like a doctor's surgery, and I have letter press printed prescriptions, Brilliant. and I have one-to-one conversations with people, so it's very intimate with people. What and do you they... mean people, people are basically in a queue waiting to be seen. Yeah, by... so they either make an appointment or they queue up. So it depends. We've done it in in Tate Gallery in Liverpool. <laughs> I've done it in a gallery Amazing. in Sweden. Um, yeah, lots of different places, and what's Again, for me, I'm always seeing where can craftivism and gentle protests be useful? And I get a huge amount of people contact me saying, I want to be part of the change I want to see in the world, but I have no idea what to do. Or mm. I've done all this type of activism and I'm burnt out. Or it's creating you know, more hatred than, and it's fueling the fire rather than help um, fix things. So I have these one-to-one discussions where we go through okay what is the issue they care about or is it holistic about how they can be the change in different ways and then I write three things that they can do but very um realistic within our time constraints and very positive so it might be read positive news magazine if you're feeling in despair about the world to remind you of the great stuff happening which will actually motivate you more to be part of the change you want to see or Flow magazine to show you the beauty of creativity and mindfulness or it might be drawing your own power analysis of what power do I have with different people in a context and where can I be of best use and so lots of different activities so at the back of the book I felt like it was a natural thing to put in a lot of the questions people have and a lot of the answers people have found really useful in this well making clinic area and showing the prescriptions and everything from you know watch the film sell there to be inspired, but also to see how strategic and emotionally intelligent Martin Luther King and his core group were about who to target, how to target them, or um, yet yeah, certain films to watch or certain actions to take. Um, and people find it really useful. And I want—I always want my work to be action-focused. It's not just we need to learn a lot but we also then need to take action so it's very much about here's some things for you to do and to make and to read and to watch and and not just have some information about an awful thing happening in the world but then not offering solutions i think there's a a real worry that often we get bombarded with facts and statistics especially in mainstream media and then they don't offer constructive ways we can be part of changing it which means that people do just go into a state of despair and I really want to help tackle that with my prescriptions and the book and the kits and the tools and, and be of use. There are so many different ways
0: that people can get involved they can they can come to your website, they can buy your brilliant book, how to, to be a craftivist. Um, at this time when we're thinking about uh, what, how do we really personalise and, and, and make gifting around the Christmas um, period yeah. better, again, you've got some fantastic gifts that will really promote a, a kind of a thoughtfulness and a, and a soft form of activism for people that, that may or may not already be, be involved in, in the change. Um, which is all in- incredibly valuable. Um, some of your workshops and re- and events will we find those on your website?
1: Yeah all on the website and then if there isn't an event near you we've got all the kits and the projects lots of stuff online um, like little videos and what I love I mean it's, it's a global community because you've got people all over the world who find each other and I love the conversations we have online whether it's Instagram or Twitter or Facebook so there's lots of different ways you can be involved on your own without telling anyone else or as part of a group or a group of friends and um, so have a yeah have a rummage on the website and see what works for you and where craftivism can be you know of use in your activism toolkit and tell us all so we can all encourage you (laughs) well sarah it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the
0: ethical podcast thank you so very
1: much well thanks for having me and thanks for everything you do because it is it fuels me keeps me going know that there's other change makers in the world who are literally you are literally changing the world so thank you so much thank you I hope you found
0: my podcast useful and thought-provoking. Please, if you'd like to join fortnightly interviews, subscribe.